0: This is a unique podcast exploring the criminal justice system and those involved and affected will educate and expose the public as well as potential jurors to what takes place behind the scenes of those who are facing the system. Your host owns a litigation support firm called Justice Technology Professionals, and he works on criminal and civil cases, offering support to defendants and counsel. What you're about to hear is an open dialogue opening the minds to the public to what takes place in reality as opposed to what you think takes place ladies and gentlemen welcome to the justice tech pros podcast here's your host dominic Kria.
1: hello listeners hope everybody's doing well today Welcome to episode 99. I actually messed up uh, last episode. I thought that was 99, but it wasn't. This is uh, episode 99. So today I'm going to be going over uh, different topics, different things that I just want to address. As I always say, I write things down that I want to talk about, and that's kind of where I am now. There's a few things I want to talk about and address. Uh, One of the things I'm going to be doing on this episode is I'm going to uh, talk about the appeal as well. I'm going to do an update on a recent appeal that was filed for the case of uh, United States versus Stephen Crea, Matthew Madonna, Christopher Landonio, and Terrence Caldwell, so I'm going to do an update on that. And I'm going to do a few other um, topics. I'm going to leave the update for the last thing so I could cover that, excuse me, cover that in detail and go over a few things as far as what I think the timeline may be and how the process works uh, with the next stages. First thing I wanted to talk about is uh, an issue that was brought up. I I believe it was on, yeah, it was on Cane Shades because I jumped on uh, Cane Shades' episode. Now, I know the, the person who was making the comment. I have an idea. I'm pretty sure I know who it is. And what happens is a lot of times people forget things that they say under one name. And then all of a sudden they'll miraculously talk about it under another you know, name. So, uh, But I have a pretty good memory, so I have an idea who it is. But what I try to do, sometimes you'll see questions that may you know, come across as foolish or you know that the person's just trying to start trouble with the uh, question or they're just trying to start some kind of conspiracy and whatnot. But uh, what I try to do is make almost like a, a teachable moment, so to speak, out of certain things that I feel maybe there's a legitimate aspect to it that may exist, so I'm going to address it, and that's what I'm going to do right now. Uh, the person was in the chat, not asking, not asking a legitimate question. They were just trying to cause uh, the usual suspicion and conspiracy, but they kept raising the issue about uh, the We Push Back website having cookies on the website. Uh, I explained on on Kane Shades, but I want to do it here just so people. Who may have not heard they could hear it again Um, those who know about how cookies work as it relates to websites understand that that's an analytical tracking uh, feature it allows you to keep track on um, the website traffic this way you could run numbers see how many people hit the site how many people visited the site you could even see like what is bringing people to your site and whatnot now cookies are optional uh if you go to the site When you go there, you'll see it says either accept or decline cookies. You don't have to participate, so you could decline it. This person, however, was trying to make it as if a conspiracy big thing. Like, I'm tracking every single person who clicks on the site. Listen, I'm not even going to... Nonsense on every level even to think of that. Like I said, I knew it was a ridiculous um, question, and I know the person, so the only purpose of it was to, of course you know, cause some kind of conspiracy that's their M.O. But I try to take those things if I see the question and I if I could use the opportunity to maybe enlighten those who may be curious, I, I try to do that. So I'll take a foolish question and I'll try to give it some legitimacy depending on if I think there's value there. So I just want to talk about the reason for the cookies and again you could just decline it. If you're not comfortable you could just decline it. And another thing, um, you could even just not even like hit decline or accept. And just navigate the site, and you're still able to access the site. So I just wanted to address that. <laughs> uh, we push back is not using cookies to to find whoever visits the site. I couldn't care who visits the site. To be honest with you, um, the more people that see it, I, I'm happy. I hope the numbers keep going up. In thirty days, there was like ten thousand hits. I'm hoping the next thirty days, maybe there'll be more. Who knows? But I, I just you know, I want as much exposure, obviously, as possible on that end. So I just wanted to clarify that, and you could look more into, I'm not going to do a whole cookies episode, it's a boring topic, but you could look into cookies, and you'll see what I'm saying is accurate, I'm not making anything up, and I use, um, I actually use We uh, GoDaddy for the, uh, I can't even think of the word, oh, the hosting site, I use GoDaddy, they host the domain and the website, And, uh, it's default. They'll do the default cookies because you have to notify people. You could, you see what people don't understand is you could track cookies without even notifying the person. You could just put it on, but some regional laws require that you notify the person. That's why they'll have, excuse me. That's why they'll have like accept or decline, but you, you could just enable it without even putting the accept or decline. And some people wouldn't even know you're tracking cookies. So be aware of that as well. But because of regional and state uh, requirements, some states require you have to have it on. So I just, uh, that's how uh, GoDaddy defaults it. They just put it on, I guess, to uh, prevent any issues. That's enough about talking about cookies. Um, Oh, the other thing I did want to talk about, just for people so they're aware as well, a lot of people I notice if if you notice on the we push back channel and even on here sometimes I don't really do it that much on this channel because I try to uh, just have my episodes really be the content I don't really use any creative aspect as far as videos I I save that for the we push back channel and a lot of people were asking about the music when you use music in it uh, that they get blocked or they YouTube won't allow them to use the music for me I don't know none of my channels are monetized so it's it's not an issue. I could use any music I want because the only time it becomes an issue if you're using somebody's copyrighted material for uh monetary gains, and so when you're not monetized they'll just play it. So some people were just asking, how do you get uh, we push back to play the videos and use the music?" If you're not monetized, you could do that, and you don't have to worry about that. YouTube does let you know that there's a copyright on your channel, like they'll tell you, oh, you used copyright material, but there's no um uh, nothing happens. They'll still air it. You know, they'll they'll air it uh, on YouTube. It doesn't get taken down uh, when you're not monetized. So I just want to let people know who were asking how I was able to use certain songs. If you're not monetized, you have a lot more freedom related to copyrighted work and material. The other thing I wanted to kind of touch on a bit, I, I, I like to see, I'm I'm hoping... And I've received certain emails and I've had certain conversations that I believe it's gonna be something that opens the door for other individuals who may have been impacted by lying informants to come on YouTube, talk about it, talk about their experience. Um, I have certain friends who unfortunately, they've had a lot of similar experiences maybe I have had and they went through things that I could relate to and and people who aren't uh, familiar with what goes on within the system um, i I would I was encouraging them actually over the weekend to maybe start a channel and start doing it and really just start talking about their personal experiences because I do believe that makes an impact you know when people just start talking about what goes on I try to come on here I try to talk about things i've I've faced uh, within the legal system obviously and and how um, what I've witnessed what uh-huh. Uh, where you witness different set of rules based on what somebody may be labeled or put into a certain category, you see different types of justice play out for different people. So for me, the more individuals coming on here talking about their experiences, talking about lying informants, how they may have impacted their family members or lies they're currently telling, uh, there's a few friends of mine that I know who also, their family's been impacted by uh, a few of the informants on here. And, uh, my plan is, my goal is to try to really have them add their voice in a way. And I, uh, you know, some of them are are friends of mine, so I'd be there to obviously help them and get their word out, maybe try to uh, make things a little easier. Maybe I'll have them on my show first. But my point just is, folks, it, it really is important for the public just to see the other side. And that's That's what really drove me to even start this thing, all about just really the other side of things, because all I saw prior to starting my podcast was one-sided information. You have information coming from lying informants. You have information coming from the government. They're going to look at things a certain way, so it's one-sided. They're not going to put out the defense's view or the defense's position, obviously, right? They have a job to do. That's how they operate. You have the media. They obviously are run by the government or influenced heavy by the government, so they'll run normally with the government's narrative. Then you got all of those organized crime channels and mob cha- mob websites and uh they they pretty much just run with the lying informants narrative with the government's narrative with the Wikipedia narrative and with the media narrative so when you really start to think about it folks all of these sources they're coming from all different avenues outside of directly from the people who are involved Okay, now we understand a lot of times people just don't want to talk about that. That's how it goes. And that's the unfair advantage that a lot of these lying informants have. They could come on here, they could tell all their lies, and nobody's going to challenge it. Think about it who's going to challenge it? A lot of the defendants are high profile defendants, or they're locked up, or they're not even around anymore. They can't defend themselves. A lot of the individuals just don't have the uh, demeanor. To want to even uh, def- you know, come on the computer and air out personal stuff—that who wants to do that? You know, that's—I have a hard time relating to that. I, I try—I don't really get into personal stuff, so I get it. You know, I could get that. So I, I touched on this on the episode on my feeling about those who would enable lying informants because I feel uh, they're not sitting there idly. I, I feel they're very involved in the process. They're involved in spreading that false narrative. They're involved. And and they're not stupid. Some of these hosts, they realize it's going to be a one-sided conversation. Nobody's going to come on and rebut the informant. And then you got people like me where I won't talk to an informant. So I'm not going to debate them. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to engage them. I won't comment to them. I won't acknowledge them. You know, I'm the type of person I don't even... There'll be no acknowledgement, put it that way, on any level. I couldn't care if I have informants saying nice things about me, bad things about me. As far as I'm concerned, they should all say bad things about me. The way I feel about lying informants, they should feel about me, about my family, about everything. So I would never expect a kind word coming from any lying informant. We're on two different wavelengths where it relates to our morals, our belief system, and how we conduct ourselves. So that's not an option for me. I would never debate one. And honestly, the way I am, I wouldn't even look to have discussions with those who platform lying informants. Not for me. I don't want nothing to do with those people. I just don't. I, I can't. It's not for me. Their, their belief system is too far apart from mine. So I'm not going to address it on that, way, on that level either. I'm going to try to address it in ways that I feel comfortable, that still keep my morals in check, where I'm comfortable with my decisions. And you're limited, you know. Listen, YouTube's crazy. <laughs> There's a lot of crazy shows. One day somebody don't like informants. The next day they're uh, moderating and chats with them, and they'll be like, "Oh, but I still don't like them." Like I can't relate to any of that, folks. I'm, you know, I'm very different than a lot on here. Uh, in my real life, I don't have any friends who even talk to them. Have a, if one of my friends ever even had a phone call with one, I'd be like, "Okay." Uh, lose my number, we have nothing in common. Or if, even if one of my good friends even talked to a lot of these people who are friends with the informants, I would have a problem and tell them lose my number. That's just, you know, I don't want that element amount around me. Does that make me right? Of course not. Uh, it's just my way of, of thinking. I don't think it's right or wrong. I just think it's my way of thinking. And I, uh, that's the way, uh, I operate as far as that goes. So, by... Coming on here, you have these lying informants and, you know, they're they're telling their stories. And you always get people, oh, well, somebody else could come out and tell their side of things. Well, how how well has that worked out? Do you see people coming on here and giving their side of things? No. Some people just don't want to do it. You have family. They don't want to be involved. They don't want the hardship. They already have to deal with enough by seeing all these stupid websites, these channels, talking about their family members and whatnot. So... It's not realistic to expect them. That's why my philosophy and the friends I was talking to, you got to kind of do your own thing. And it's, you know, those who align helping one another. So obviously I would help them get started and look to spread the word and uh, get them involved and in just the way their voice is heard, their side of things is heard. And remember folks, I'm not here to say, oh, well my side's the right way and listen to what I'm saying. That's up for the public to decide. That's not up for me to decide. All I want to do is get the other side of things out there. So I'll talk on uh, defendants' behalf or maybe family's behalf or people I know behalf. I'm just trying to get their side out there, and I'll show court documents and do what I can to show uh, my perspective. And then it's up to the audience. To me, that's the best way to handle it. Have the audience watch everything, digest everything, and let them decide who's telling the truth, who's lying. But for far too long, far too long, they were going unobstructed, unchallenged, it's absurd, and that that's not happening no more as far as I'm concerned on my end. Uh, I think it's very important as they come up and these guys start lying, they need to at least have the public see the other side of things. And that's where we push back, focus is on. When a new informant pops up on the Internet, telling lies, first thing I, I do as far as procedural-wise, I start to pull – Case info. I start to reach out to attorneys that were involved on their cases, have them send me documents, have them send me minutes. And I tell you, folks, the site is going to keep populating more and more because there's a lot of information. There's a lot of attorneys who want to get their their word out there or a lot of defendants who want to get their perspective out there but don't really have the ability or the know-how to talk on the computer or maybe they can't. Maybe they're... uh, uh, <laughs> under arrest now. Sorry, I, uh, I started there. Maybe they can't. Maybe they're just... They're, or maybe they can't. Maybe right now they're in a prison or, or something's going on. They just can't respond. So I try to uh, fill that gap in when I can. And as the different informants show up that I see telling lies, that's what I would try to do. We're going to make We Push Back be the database where you could see the court records, you could see the defense side of things, you could see even investigative uh, information. When a defense team does their own investigative work, a lot of that's not under a protective order, so you could share that. Uh, So those are going to be the things that are going to take place. And my point just is it's very important, and I'm working on a few people I know, but I even hope that people I don't know that are listening to this, if you've experienced uh, def- your your family member or a friend or a defendant go through a lot of the things that maybe I talk about or other people who have been faced with uh, justice that did not go the way it's supposed to go according to the law books and according to the Constitution. I, I think it's very healthy to get out there and just talk about it, explain your experience. All of that in my opinion is part of the entire juror education module and that's That's really the focus, I think, educating jurors, preparing jurors, educating the public. The same way, you have to realize, folks, the same way that the government uses the media, uh, these websites that populate uh, information on people and talk about people, it's all part of one narrative, that one side. uh, That comes from media, comes from uh, lying informant books, maybe, Wikipedia, research, law enforcement. That's, you know, one-sided thinking. And I get it, that's just how the information comes out, but I believe that it's important that there's another side when it relates to facts, people saying, well, this happened, it's important somebody steps up, calls them out, says no, that didn't happen in their own small way, you know, where it impacts them. So that, that's something I'm hoping that further develops and enhances and more and more come out on that level. And if they don't, they don't. doesn't matter. I'll be here to help out where I can and pick up what I can. And whatever comes my way, I'll look to to talk about and to tackle. You know, the other thing I wanted to touch on, which I found funny, when I started my channel and uh, We Push Back, and I even did a Facebook group, which is still active. I haven't really been on it, uh, to be honest with you. I'm not really on Facebook much, and I was trying to have somebody at my office run it, but it just didn't work out. I, I started a juror education group on Facebook. My point just is, my projects have all been around educating the public. Um, and when I say educating, it's not to to try to insult anybody where, oh, they're not educated in the system. I just look at it like, who's really going to know about all these things unless you've been through it, right? You're not going to know about it. So it's really just more of exposure and lightning and bringing to the attention of. And all of those things together create an education. So that's why I uh, use that, that that verbiage for that because overall you're just improving the know, the wherewithal, the know-how, and maybe things that the average person doesn't think about. So when you build all those things and you add those tools, you're enhance, enhancing your knowledge of something, of a topic. And that, and that's what's really important with the juror, in my view, the juror education, the public exposure. But what I found funny why I brought this up is a lot of people were trying to say, oh, he's trying to, trying to influence the jury, taint the jury. What jury? There's no case I'm talking, there's no case or jury pool. I'm I'm, I'm trying to talk to and tell them, Oh, I don't find it guilty. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. I just found that funny to think by educating and by bringing things to light, people try to, again, use a negative to make it, it's something sinister. Uh, Oh, he's tainting the jury. So by that logic, does that mean the media, the government, uh, the websites, you know what, taint the jury? Well, guess what? They do too. I just call it influence the jury. I don't think they're tainting anything, but they're influencing the journey. So it's, from my perspective, you have to counteract that. You have to give the public some information that is contradictory to what they're normally used to seeing. And that's, that's what I focus on. Uh, because, again, it all goes back to the one side of things. Everything that's out there for the average citizen, for someone who's a potential juror, if it relates to certain classifications within the legal system, for example, if you get picked to to jury duty and you're up against somebody who's labeled organized crime, there's a lot out there. There's a lot of media right away, even if somebody may not be an alleged member, but they're labeled that, that's it. They're automatically going to get this... Uh, uh, stereotype. Put on the biased, and that's just how it goes. So you got to try to just show. Okay, you could have those biased. Again, I'm not here to say, oh, this group of people are good people. This poops. Uh, this group of people's bad people. I'm not here for that. Everybody has their own uh, their own view on certain things. They they may judge people with blanket rules. You know, they may say everybody who's considered. Uh, or labeled organized crimes, no good. They're not a good person. They're entitled to that. That's how it goes. I don't see it that way. I judge people. I don't judge them based on labels. I don't judge based on accusations. And I don't judge their character based on who they're supposed to be or what people say they are. I judge it based on who the person really is and what they really do and what their actions show me and what their daily consistency shows me and what the gestures they may have done. You know, there's a lot there to judge somebody, but... I understand that's not how life works. Most people, they hear something, they judge it. So what I try to just appeal to is the fact that, okay, you're going to judge them, but if you're going to serve on a jury, you can't do that. You can't already have somebody guilty based on a label. So I try to just talk about that and talk about leaving your bias at the door. And if you really take the Constitution seriously and our freedom seriously, you owe it to the system to try to go in there. Without judgment, without preconceived bias, without those type of impairments that will affect a reasonable decision. And I got to say, I was watching this show. You really see how powerful a jury could be when they're, they're filled with incompetent individuals. I'm sorry, with competent, not incompetent. When they're filled with competent, knowledgeable individuals who, who hold common sense. I was watching, if you get a chance, check it out, 2020, it was last Friday, I think. The name of it was called Confession, The Confession, so 2020, The Confession. If you get a chance, watch it. It was two hours, but I thought it was really good. I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but I was really impressed with this jury. Basically, this guy, another guy, the uh, prosecution and law enforcement, from the beginning, they, they had this guy pegged for killing his wife. Okay, And they didn't want to hear nothing else. They didn't want to look at the other evidence. It's like I always talk about when they target somebody. Well, they targeted this guy, and uh, they didn't want to hear anything else. Long story short, I was really impressed. They were showing the jury, two or three of the jury members at the end of the show, towards the end. And I was just really impressed because these jurors really had common sense. They were able to see through the nonsense that the prosecution was trying to Establish and they were able to see through the tricks, and they were able to see, um, what how that the law enforcement, the prosecutorial team, how they were all blinded and just wanted to convict this guy. They didn't have the facts tell the story, they really just picked a target and that was it, went after it. And you truly see the importance of having such a strong jury and what a difference it could make when you have free thinkers, independent thinkers. Nobody that's on the defense side, nobody that's on the prosecution side, just people who go by the facts. And that's all you want. People who are going to go by the facts, able to see through the smoke and mirrors. But I was really impressed, and it just drilled the point home to me how important it is to try to educate the the jury. And that's why I'm... uh, Sometimes you know it gets it gets hard to keep up with the podcast. It really does. When you have a job, when you have the responsibilities, a family, it's hard. It's not an easy thing, and and there's production that goes into it. And honestly, folks, I do pretty much all of it myself. I uh, I edit it myself. I make the videos myself. All of that I do all myself because I enjoy it. And uh, sometimes I can't sleep. I do it. But full blown episodes they take time, and uh, sometimes you can't be bothered. Uh, if I'm being honest with you, you know, sometimes I'm just like, hey, uh, I said what I had to say. I had enough. But then when I see these things take place and I see the impact that are, that are educated, intelligent, commonsensical, free thinking jury. When I see the impact they can have, I'm like, you know what, for now, I got to keep going because the little even if I have one person. Hear an episode, and it kind of changes the way they think, and they give somebody a fair chance, and they really hear the facts of the case, and they really go through the evidence, and they go through the charges. It's a win. It's a win. If that happens to one person, it's all worth it, and that's that's a lot of my motivation. That's a lot of what keeps me going and keeps me uh, putting out the episodes. So again, if you get a chance, really catch that. The confession was the name of the episode. Was on 2020. And you're going to be amazed, honestly, what they did to this guy. Uh, just the mind games they played with the guy. And this was like a simple guy, soft-spoken guy. The mind games they played with him. But he was he was sharp. He came across as simple, but the guy was pretty intelligent, I got to say, because he knew the games they were playing, and he, uh, he didn't fall for them. And it's just it, it, the part about the jury is what you really got to look at. Just when the jury starts to talk about things they witnessed in the case – and the observations they make, it gives you hope again in the justice system. It gives you hope that there are people who are able to really judge a case in a fair way. So check that out. It is important. I just wanted to touch on that as well. And I just want to go back to the whole concept of these lying informants that are on YouTube spreading lies and how they just go unchallenged. And how if you notice now, uh, we push back, I believe I started a year, a year ago, year and a half ago, whole different ballgame now, whole different ballgame where now you see people challenging, questioning, seeing through a lot of the, the BS. And I also noticed there's a lot of turmoil in that stupid genre, which I'm thankful I have nothing to do with. But uh, I hear there's a lot of nonsense going on with that whole ridiculousness. Who's fighting it? I mean, come on, people. Does it take a genius to figure out why? Okay? It really shouldn't. That's pretty predictable, right? You look at When you look at something, you always got to evaluate uh, the credibility of those involved, the integrity of those involved, and then you could get an idea of how, how well that's going to work out. But f- from my perspective... I don't think it's going to end anything. I know people, oh, it's over. I don't think any of that's going to end. I think it'll keep going on. I think there's going to be. I just think it'll change a little in the sense that more lying informants are going to really uh, make their presence known. Presence known, and I think that may wipe out a lot of the smaller, uh, like the mob fanboy channels. People who have nothing to do with it but study it, put up websites on it, absorb it, talk about it twenty-four-seven. Uh, you know, eat drink and sleep it, I think those smaller channels will probably take a hit. And then as the lying informants start coming out, because you got to realize this is like a, a revenue generation stream for them. Think about it. They could come on here, tell all their stories unchecked, be treated like celebrities, because let's face it, 90% of the YouTube audience uh, like likes it, likes the stories, likes the whole concept, hey, they teach their own. So why would they not go that route? Right, They're going to go that route. So I think what's going to happen with that route is I think the informants will kind of um, control that space. All those, that stupid mob space with all the dumb stories and biographies, all that nonsense. I think the uh, the informants will control that space. And then some of, I guess, the channels who are good at it, I don't really know with that nonsense. But I guess whoever's good at it, they'll, they'll stick around in those who aren't, they'll probably fall off. But but I don't see it going anywhere. I, I just don't think it's that big of a genre where it's gonna have any kind of huge change either way. I think it's like a select number or a percentage I should should say of the population that's infatuated with that nonsense. And they won't lose that audience. They'll stay there. But for me, the the overwhelming um move of a lot of these informants to go onto the YouTube platform is a welcomed addition because it, it allows for the public to start to see both sides. Even They come on here, they start telling their tales, and then you have uh, We Push Back and myself um, showing the other side to that, showing court papers where they may have said, A, but yet court papers show B, or testimony where they say, oh, I never said that in court, and then we play the testimony. And that's why I put together my courts in session segment where you actually hear the testimony playing out. And I'm uh, working on a new one. I requested a cross-examination uh, from somebody I know on one of the newer informants that have come on the scene. So I requested they send me the minutes for the uh, when they were testifying and they got cross-examined. And I'm going to do a courts in session on that. Uh, again, it's about really just populating putting up the uh, documentation. And the truth is the dynamic obviously is going to change with this whole uh, informant mass rush to YouTube to become famous because there is pushback. There is a, a force, let's just say, that's on there saying, no, that's not true. Here's accurate. Oh, here's your true personality. Here's your true character. You have to realize that never existed prior to a year and a half ago. It just wasn't around. Nobody was doing that. just didn't exist. everybody was eating up everything they had to say, those who follow them. And that was it. That was the only source you had, just to listen to the informants or go on the websites. Oh, and talking to websites, I tell you, these, <laughs> some of these websites are something else. A friend of mine sent me a screenshot from a website, one of those ridiculous mob websites. They talk about everybody and their mother. And they had a section just devoted to like alleged gangsters who who are gonna die in jail basically and they just list all these names and of course they had my old man on there but again I laugh at the just nonsense but in my head I'm like imagine the person who wrote that up to put it on there I don't know just to I just find that odd. You have family reading that. You have people reading that. I just don't see the need for something like that. It's common sense. (laughs) I mean, if they're in jail and they're sentenced to life and you you don't win an appeal or you lose all hopes of appeal. Yeah, that's unfortunately that's the future. But it just goes to show to put that out there without any hesitation. You really get to see the people behind a lot of these sites and very disturbing, very disturbing. I've had a few conversations with individuals that I met based on doing my podcast where professionals, where they would email my office, uh, some were like law firms in different states, and they, they don't really deal with organized crime stuff and cases like that. And I had some interesting conversations. You, you really see perspective when you talk to somebody who really don't know about that and how it works and the, the obstacles that the defendants face And a lot of these uh, conversations I had, a lot of these attorneys, they really couldn't believe a lot of the games that are played when somebody is labeled organized crime, what goes on as far as the case and getting your discovery and all that. You know, they couldn't relate to that. And it's just interesting because you'll be used to a certain way of things going. You know, you're just used to, okay, discovery is going to be a whole chaotic thing. It's going to be like pulling teeth. And then you talk to somebody else in a case that. Uh, is totally unrelated and they got like no issues they're getting everything on time it really is it just goes to show how they unfortunately sometimes whether it's law enforcement or you're a judge or they really hold a lot of their personal bias and it does carry over into the professional uh judicial system the legal system and that's really a huge fracture within the system and it goes you know when i talk about uh what i have personally seen i like to give people references and examples but I've had listeners, I'm sure, just turn on the TV. People experience it all the time. People of color experience it all the time when there's uh, law enforcement who are biased against them because of the shade of their skin. I mean, they, everybody, a lot of people have experienced what I'm talking about. Uh, so I, that's why I laugh when I'll talk about certain things and people get all confused and they try to be like, oh no, he's just saying that because he's a gangster son with all that stupid talk. They try to do that to discredit what I'm saying and to minimize what I'm saying, but the facts are the facts. They could attempt to do whatever they want. And if they want to try to discredit me, uh, they're going to have a hard time doing that. I've been in business since I'm about 19, 20 years old, and I built a pretty good reputation, so I'm not worried about that. But it is, you really start to see it when you talk to different people from different walks of life who have experienced that. A system that does not play out the way they try to paint it. And, you, and you're able to kind of bond on that. And you really just see like, wow, this really is a problem. And that's what it boils down to. Long after I'm done doing my podcast, long after I may not be talking about it anymore, whenever that happens, this is still going to be a problem. It really is. And so many changes have to take place. And I just don't know if that will ever happen if I'm being honest, I don't know if big, higher, important level ch- changes will take place to have a significant impact where they start vetting. Let's just say you start vetting informants. You start confirming what they're telling you is accurate. I don't know if that will ever happen because you know why? It doesn't really... Uh, unfortunately, if you have law enforcement we have a prosecutor who has that severe disdain or uh, severe bias or severe whatever you want to call judgment of somebody they're going to hear what they want to hear so if they have an informant telling them what they want to hear a lot of times they're not going to vet them because they don't want to hear it you have to realize they don't want to hear the truth sometimes they only want to hear what's going to line up with them so that's going to be one of the challenges how do you prevent that it's very very hard to prevent and in my opinion i don't even know if they want to prevent it i think a lot of it's facade to act like, yes, we know it's broken, we're going to fix it, but it just keeps going on and on. I mean, even the discovery, I've talked about that. You have the discovery reform, and it uh, it happened in New York, which is phenomenal. And the feds, for me, you figure it's a no-brainer. You got to follow that guidelines as far as discovery, but who knows how long that's going to drag out. I really hope a lot of these things start to change, and I do think it has to do with having the right people in different positions. And I feel there's a lot of honest people and, and law enforcement, even on the prosecution. I feel there's a lot of, you know, people have this uh, this moronic stereotype that they think with somebody like me, they'll try to say, oh, gangster son, he hates law enforcement, he hates uh, uh, prosecutors. Not true at all. Don't even know me, don't even know how I was raised. I wasn't raised that way. I was raised that you respect everybody as long as they're doing their job. When they make it personal and they start doing deceptive things and vicious things and malicious things. Yeah, obviously you're not going to like the person, right? Or somebody's, a you got a cop, right? You got a racist cop. You're not going to like that cop. He's a racist. Or you got a biased federal agent who doesn't like Italians. Yeah, you're not going to be crazy about that federal agent. You don't like Italians and he makes it known. You know, that's, that's common sense stuff. And I think anybody wouldn't, wouldn't want to support an individual like that. So it's just all nonsense when they when they try to use that about uh, oh well they hate all law enforcement. No, I was taught you always respect everybody as long as they do their job. All law enforcement, all the everybody involved in the law, judge, you respect everybody and you treat them with respect. You just obviously, if they're not an honorable person and they're not just doing their job and they're vicious about it and sinister about it and try to set you up, well, that's a whole different ballgame. I don't think anybody's going to like those type of people. So I just wanted to clarify that because I always get that as well. Oh, you don't like cops, you don't, all nonsense. The same way I was raised, I raised my kids. You respect authority, you respect the law. Uh, You know, you respect your elders, You respect women. I mean, it's all part of the whole ball of wax, how you're raised. And there's so many, you know, I'm not the type to come on here and talk about personal stuff. It's just not my demeanor. It's not who I am. But I tell you, if I did do that, people would see that a lot of that BS that they believe and a lot of that supposedly if you're labeled a certain thing, you're a certain way. They'll see a lot of that's all nonsense. They really will. But that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to get into personal stories, and that's not my uh, personality. I'm here to focus on the legal aspect of things helping defendants, helping family members, helping defense teams in any way possible. And I'm going to continue to do that. That's what's going to shape the show as it continues to evolve. And expand. That's always going to be my driving force. What can I do to help defendants? What can I do to help those who may not have a voice? What can I do to help victims of lying informants? What can what could be my small part? And then you have the people who say, oh, but you're so concerned about the victims of lying informants. What about the victims of organized crime, guys? I, I never said people shouldn't do shows on that. Go do shows on it. Somebody should start a show if they want all the victims of people impacted by organized crime figures. It's a free country. Do what you want. That's not my space. There's already enough of that from my perspective between the websites, between the media, between the YouTube channels. There's enough of that side. Uh, I don't need to be a voice for that side. I'm here to focus on a specific thing. I'm here to focus on defendants who get accused of things that they haven't done family members who may get accused of things or, or or are lied upon and if I could clarify that I will for example when that situation happened with Carmine Persico don't know the guy from a hole in the wall, don't know the family from a hole in the wall that was irrelevant to me. I saw somebody being lied upon where they were trying to call this guy an informant and people like oh he's defending you know, organized crime. No I'm not defending organized crime, I'm defending somebody's reputation some people take that very serious folks I know people don't want to hear it, but some people take that very serious. They don't want to be an informant. They don't even want to be known as one. Their family don't want them known as one. So they take that very serious. I know on YouTube, uh, a lot are very different. I laugh because you got people, I'm a man, I don't, you know, uh, stand up. I I, I support people who stand up. And like I said, then they're on shows with people who are friends with informants or informants are in the chat interacting. I can't relate to any of that. Honestly, it's like... It's very foreign to me. And that had a lot to do with why I just even stopped going on shows. Certain th- It just wasn't for me. The dynamic's not for me, and that's not an insult to anybody, folks. It's my own personal thing. Uh, there's certain things I tolerate, certain things I don't, and I can't, I can't interact and, and be phony with people that they're telling me one day they feel a certain way, but their actions don't line up to that. I can't relate to that. It's not for me. It's not how I operate in real life. I'm not going to come on YouTube and operate that way. So you have to alter your behavior, you know, and you have to alter your interaction. That's And that's where I did. That's my problem. That's nobody else's problem. That's a me problem. <laughs> you know, if I have a problem with certain things, that's on me. That's not on anybody else. So I make sure uh, I do what I can to not impact um, anything negatively. I'll just, you know, do my own thing. Step back and focus on what I want to focus on. So that, that's what happens a lot. I can't relate to a lot of those things as, as, it's relate, as it relates to somebody telling me, oh, I don't like a certain, you know, I don't like lying informants, okay? And then you find out, well, they're talking to people who are friends with lying informants. So how much could you really not like a lying informant if you're talking to a friend of one? I don't know. I find that all odd. Maybe I'm a lunatic, but I don't care. You know what? I'm 45 years old. I am who I am at this point, right? I always try to improve myself, but at the core, I am who I am, and I can't relate to a lot of those things. Okay, and this brings me to the part of the show where I wanted to talk about a recent submission of an appeal to the Second Circuit. Those who have followed, have been following the uh, podcast, or and if there's any new listeners, this is the appeal for the United States versus Christopher Landonio, Terrence Caldwell, Matthew Madonna, Stephen Crea. And just one thing I want to point out, which aggravated me, and I actually had a little bit of a uh, disagreement with the attorneys over it. If you notice, they had to put that dopey, <laughs> that dopey nickname that they invented. Hey, I just moved around a little bit. All right. That dopey nickname that they invented They had to put that on there, and I asked why the heck you got to put that on there, and they said they have to follow how it was worded on the indictment, so that annoyed me. I wanted to take that off there, but I have no say in those matters. I'm sure they were like, shut the hell up. We know what we're doing, (laughs) but anyway, uh, so I just wanted to go over uh, a snapshot. I'm not going to get too detailed, folks, for obvious reasons. We just put it in. There's a lot there. Uh, Let them go through it let them break it down. So I don't want to get into too detail, but the purpose of this is I want to give uh, the listeners an idea of the process. Cause to be honest, this is the first federal appeal I worked on. And let me tell you, I wasn't aware how involved it is and what needs to take place. I think you'll find it pretty interesting. So now I want to give you an idea of the amount, the volume involved. Okay. The total volume of this appeal In total, this includes transcripts, citations, so you got to realize some of it they're not reading every single thing, but it's just the volume of it. It's over 3,000 pages. It's over, I believe, nine individual briefs with appendix, nine individual uh, books, and that's what's interesting. What has to happen is this. On the appellate level, Uh, everybody submits their brief and then you have to do the appendix, which is basically every citation, every transcript uh, from the trial, any transcript you're introducing, any motion transcript that you're citing. Uh, In this case, as I told you, we have the rule 33 where we're going over uh, a lot of the podcast transcripts are included in that. So you have to combine all those in different appendix and send them. So it's a massive amount of info. But what I found interesting that I never knew the way the process works is, on the appeal level, you upload uh, the appeal. You have the appeal due date, which we did. You know, you then you upload that to the appeal. But what has to happen? That's interesting. You go to different companies. There's a company called Council Press, right? You have to send them. They specialize in making the appeal official. And what I mean by that is, after you submit it, that's to meet the debt to meet the deadline, right? What happens is the appellate division assigns a clerk, and the clerk is kind of like the go-between. He makes sure everything's in line for the judges. He makes sure they have everything. So once they get the submission, they start almost keeping track of who's coming in, who, who submitted theirs electronically. Then there's another, another phase, which is interesting. This goes to that council press I brought up. There's a company called Council Press, and a lot of the attorneys, they'll contact the company, Uh, The company's service is specific to the appellate uh, submission. What they have to do is actually bind the different briefs. So they have to bind nine sets of these briefs. Some are 400 pages, 300 pages, and make it into a special format. It has to have a special binding. You can't just have any binding on it. You can't just punch holes in it and bind it. There's a specific binding, specific font. There's a lot of specifics. And the funny part is is I'm having... uh, somebody in my firm learn that firm, learn that process, because that's something I believe we could do, and we could do it where it's cost effective for the client. I already looked into the binding type material, and I'm confident we'll be able to replicate that. But my point just is, it's not a matter, you know, every other process, it's all electronic, right? You just submit it, that's it. Um, certain things the judge does want, hard copy certain motions, but it's a matter of just binding it with like a uh, those, those uh, I think they're called... I can't think of the word, but there's uh, like a binding system, Vero, Vero Bind, something like that. I think I'm getting it wrong, but it's basically like these black tabs that you put on the back of the binding and it holds it in a booklet. You could give that to the judge. Some judges require that during the trial phase, but this is a whole nother ball game. This is like professionally bound briefs. So now think about it. You got to do nine of these and think of the cost involved folks. You have to go get them bound. It's not cheap. You got to do nine of these Then you have to do copies. There's like five or six copies. Each judge has to get a copy. Uh, The clerk has to get a copy. There's a lot of copies that go go around. Now, what happens is after all that's done, after they get all the bound copies for everybody's uh, brief, that's when they start to review the appeal. So the the clerk that I talked about that's assigned to the appeal appeal, uh, division or your specific appeal... Uh, that works on the appellate level. The clerk then fields all that information, and they keep track. Okay, the Korea defense team sent in their bind co- their bound copies. The Madonna defense team sent in their bound copies. Then they let the judges know, and then everybody starts. Uh, yeah, the judges know the prosecution know. They let everybody know, and then everybody starts diving in. So, from my perspective, I don't. I don't even think anybody looked at anything yet. They got to get everything in, uh, in their hands. So. That initial estimate that was told to me 30, 45 days. And again, this isn't like, oh, nobody knows. It's just guessing, you know, you have to use your best mm-hmm. guess. But I'm going to be honest, folks, after learning that, learning the process, I don't see them responding quicker than 90 days. I really don't. I hope I'm wrong. You know, obviously you want to move the process around, but I'm more excited that we're at this phase and at least now we begin the, we begin the final stage of this appeal, uh, so I'm just grateful that we're there. I'm not going to complain about the time frame. We've waited long enough, so 90 days is it going to make a difference as far as go back and forth, but it, it's going to take time. It really is. It's a massive amount of information, a massive amount of data and documents and citations. I mean, the amount of citations we used. And then I told you we got the approval for the additional uh, Rule 33 Brief, so now that's on top of the four defendants. Now they have another brief, it's a lot of information with podcast citations, uh, citations that took place in different venues. Excuse me, uh, give me one second, I'm taking a sip of my soda. Which, by the way, I gotta stop drinking, I'm drinking Diet Pepsi, but even diet's bad for you. Uh, I, I should only be drinking water, but I treat myself to a diet once in a while, but I shouldn't even do that. When you read these articles, but forget it. But I don't even want to go down that road. Okay. Uh, so just to give you an idea, like I said, of the volume, I wanted everybody to understand the process. And uh, every every defendant has their own brief. Like I said, you have this one is for... This is the, which one's it? Oh, this is Matthew Madonna. Uh, It's right in front of me and I don't even see it. Yeah, right there. This is Matthew Madonna's brief and each each defendant has their own brief. This is Terrence Caldwell's brief. So his is, what, 56 pages? You know, everybody's pages are differently. Uh, Our our brief is 249. And then you got uh, Matthew Madonna's 76, Terrence Caldwell's 56. Who else? Uh, Londonio is 74. So when you add up, you know, then you got the rule 33, 74. And then, as I told you, all the uh, appendix with all the citations and the and the uh, transcripts. And and the judges have to go through all that. So it's a massive around. I think I added it all up. It's well over 3,000. Pages, again, a lot of it you don't read line for line, like I told you, but still, it's a massive amount of data. So I think that's where we're looking at for the time frame. I think about 90 days till we get a response, and then what happens is the defense puts in a rebuttal to that response, and then the judges make their ruling. And that, again, no time frame, folks. You don't know. I've seen cases take four months. I've seen uh, appeals take – I shouldn't say cases. I I meant appellate cases take four months. I've seen them take a year and a half, so you just don't know. You don't know. Um, unfortunately, I do believe it will be towards the longer time frame just because the amount of information, there's a, <clears throat> there's a lot to tell here. There's a lot of story that needs to be explained to these three judges, so it's going to take a lot of time. And that doesn't bother me. It, uh, the time it is what it is type thing, you know, they got to go through it, I understand it, so it's not like a case like, oh, I wish it was quicker, you don't want to rush something like this, so I guess I'd rather they really take their time and go through everything, so as frustrating as it may be, because as a person, you know, you get impatient, you're like, oh, I want it now, but when you talk to yourself and realize, put things in perspective and get a little realistic, you understand this is just simply how it has to play out. So that's, uh, I think that's it for today, folks. I covered a few different topics. I wanted to give everybody an update on the um, on the appeal as well. I will be doing a more thorough update. I want to go over the issues with people. I want to elaborate on those as well. I just don't want to do it yet, folks. I hope you understand. I want them to at least get the brief, at least start going through it, get the bound copies, let all that happen, and then I, I, I'll dive into it Um I believe it will be beneficial just in the sense that you'll see different arguments. You'll see uh, what we're trying to explain. You'll see things that took place. I think people would want to hear that. So I will dive into it much more thoroughly uh, once the timing is right for that. And next episode's episode 100. Nothing special for it. (laughs) Not doing a big 100 bash. It's just going to be a regular episode like nothing else, but pretty cool. It's 100. I'm on here over three and a half years now. That's pretty cool. Uh, the other thing is all the We Push Back hats are gone. Over 55 hats I gave away to people, and then I held back, I think, about 15 or 20 that I gave to to uh, friends and family, and a few of my friends gave them out and stuff. So it was, I tell you, people uh, are wearing them. They're sending pictures of it. I'll probably do another supporters video on it and uh, put that out. But i got to say, folks, I really appreciate everything. I appreciate the subscribers. I appreciate... The couple friendships I made on here, and I, you know, I appreciate everybody. Those who follow, those who share, those who subscribe, those who talk about it, those who hashtag. We push back. Those who enjoy the podcast, can't thank you enough, folks. Can't thank you enough. It's part of my motivation for continuing and going on and trying to connect with the viewers and trying to just offer them a little bit. Of, uh, I hate to always say offer them education because it sounds like I'm belittling them, but that's not what I'm talking about. To any of the viewers, I'm not trying to belittle anybody. I just mean, as I explained earlier, the education as far as awareness, understanding what really goes on, because unfortunately, one could be ignorant. They just don't know. If you never dealt with the system and your your profession has nothing to do with the legal system, why are you really going to know about it, right? So that's why I feel it's the small part I could do to talk about it, air out certain things, bring certain things to light. I think it's a positive. So that's it for now. Episode 100 is up next <laughs> whenever I get around to that. I'm not sure when I'll get that done. Um, as far as we push back projects, what I want, what I'm gonna keep doing is uh, the, the, the website it's kind of organic, whereas, like, I just have my team uploading certain things that I advise them to upload. There's a lot of information I'm waiting on. So, every day, it kind of, you'll get more information on it. So, you check it out once in a while. I try to make announcements, or I'll have a staff member just put up a post on We Push Back if something new hits it. I don't always remember to do that. Uh, so, just check it out whenever you get a chance. If there's things you're interested in, look at it. Because uh, it's constantly going to develop and change. I really want to focus on the 302s, so I reached out to a lot of attorneys to get 302s on different lying informants. I really want to focus on the defendant's submissions during pretrial phases, because so much of the investigation work on the lying informants takes place during pretrial, so you'll see a lot of that in the motions. Uh, A lot of the defense motions, they lay out what their investigation uncovers, and Again, up to the people to believe what's true and what's not. I'm not here for that, but it's important you read it and you understand it. Uh, These informants want to come up here and talk about defendants and make accusations about defendants. Well, we're going to tell the truth and not make accusations. We're going to tell the truth based on what the defense team prepared. Now, when I say the truth, folks, don't think I'm on here saying, oh, everything on the defense team is 100% true. I don't know defense teams. I can't tell you. I could talk about my defense team. We were 100% truthful. But I don't know other defense teams, you know, it's the way it works. I'm, who knows? My point just is that's irrelevant. It's just important to understand it. That's all I want you to do. Just read it, digest it, see what kind of credibility you give to it. You may read it and be like, ah, this all sounds like nonsense from a defense team. And that you're entitled to that, but it is important to read it and absorb it. Don't you think it's important to at least read the defense paperwork, then read the prosecution's paperwork. And then you could decide kind of like the judge, right? The judge reads both sides and then they decide what they agree with and what they don't. And I think that's, what's so important. And what I try to bring to my podcast, that little interactive nature where you could read things, read both sides and then form an opinion. But up until recently, everybody was only getting one side of things. And that's not how life works. You got to look at the whole picture. You got to look at the whole picture. So I I feel it's very important to do my part and try to get as much as the other side uh, that I can. And that's why, honestly, a lot of these informants, I don't even know them on YouTube. They'll pop up. I'll get their name. They'll come to my attention. And then that's it. Then we'll focus on them. We'll try to get the information out based on if fa- I've had some family members reach out to me, some friends of of uh, defendants based on certain informants. And then uh, we'll try to, we push back, we'll try to focus on that informant just to bring the information to the public. Um, they're putting out all defendants' information. They're making all these claims about the defendants. We push back is going to try to give those defendants a voice based on paperwork, accounts, statements, uh, maybe victim impact statements, whatever it is, whatever comes our way is going gonna, is gonna to go out and... Ideally, I'm going to have the site down the road set up in sections based on the lying informant. Right now, I just have that for the articles. You go in each article, each section for each informant has the articles related to them. Eventually, I want to segment it where everything related to that specific lying informant is housed under their section. But I have to upgrade the... um, The hosting site, GoDaddy, they're kind of limited. I'm going to be honest, the one complaint I have, some of the things are limited on what you could do to the site. I've used WordPress in the back, but uh, I'm going to look into a few other ones. There was Blue something. There was another hosting, Blue. I can't think of the name. I liked that years ago. I don't know if that's still good. So That's the only limitation. Honestly, i got to complain a little about the GoDaddy module. You're limited on visuals and, and structuring and how to lay things out. So there's going to be a lot of changes on that end as well. And I'm going to keep doing my thing, folks. I hope everybody enjoys. uh, Whenever you hear this, I guess it will be the end of the night. And enjoys the upcoming weekend. Till next time.
0: You've been listening to the Justice Tech Pros podcast with Dominic Crea, one of the most unique podcasts on the internet, discussing the obstacles the defense team faces when trying a case, what goes on behind the scenes during pre-trial and motion phase, holding defense attorneys accountable, making sure they're fighting for their clients, the difference between textbook law and how things truly play out in a courtroom, and everything in between. And everything in between. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we'll be back soon until then find us on twitter facebook and instagram at justice tech pros to email the show with questions and comments it's podcast at justicetechpros.com till next time this is justice tech pros podcast and dominic crea signing off